Amen. You can have a seat. Well, again, it's so good to be with you. Always, always good to be with you this morning and every morning, not just this morning. I, that sounded weird when I said that. I'm sorry. If I seem a little off, it's because I spent all weekend over in Shanahan, uh, which is close to Joliet, I guess. Uh, and I'm a little, my, uh, my geography of all of the suburbs of Chicago is a little fuzzy. I spent all weekend there at the uh, ACSI basketball tournament where our uh, faith Christian Falcons took home second place. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty good. They had a, the championship game was, was a tough one, but they, they played, man, they played their lights out in the, uh, in the semifinal and, and really left it all on the court. So really, really awesome. They're going to Tennessee uh, this week to a national tournament. Uh, so Kennan's going to be going with them. Speaking of Kennan, tomorrow he turns 16. So it's Kennan's birthday, so if you see him, I know you're not supposed to call attention to the sound booth because it makes the sound people feel nervous, but he's back there, so on your way out, uh, you know, say hey to him. And uh, anyway, well, it's good to be with you at this gathering of, of Hope Bible Fellowship. If you've got your Bibles or your device to look up Scripture, Open to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 10 through 23. Ah, I forgot to start my timer, so you got extra time. Uh, I I didn't... uh, Go ahead and open to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Uh, We're going to be camped out there today. Now, next week, what we're going to do is we're we're going to... Today, we're going to finish up with Philippians. This is the last message in the book of Philippians. And then we're, next week, we're going to start to dip into this short series on stewardship and money, which promises to be really exciting. Uh, in fact, as I prepared for this passage, I noticed that this passage and then what we're going to be talking about with stewardship and money and finances biblically uh, really dovetail. They really dovetail together real nicely. And so um, I'm, I'm excited for what God may be doing there, and I hope you will come back and join us for that. Uh, But as I said, today is the final sermon in this letter of Philippians, this letter that the Apostle Paul had written to the Christians who comprised the church in the city of Philippi. And in this passage, we see a couple of things. We see Paul's thankfulness for the concern and the support of the dear brothers and sisters at Philippi, for that support they had shown him and they were continuing to show him. And from his final greetings and gracious words about their relationship with him or to him, Um, We can see some principles for how we, uh, as gospel partners, should interact with one another and with the larger kingdom of God as well. And we also see Paul speaking pretty clearly about contentment in Christ. And when we get to that part, we're going to really dig in, okay? Um, So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for this morning. I'm really happy to be with you. I'm happy I still have a voice left after uh, screaming my guts out at some of those basketball games. But let's go ahead and read together Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it is kind of you to share my trouble. 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help our hearts understand and apply his word to our lives. Jesus, as we come, we pray you would bore this word deep into our souls. That you would invade every part of our lives with the truth of your word and that you would help us to understand it. And then to apply it to our lives as we go out. God, don't let this just be an academic exercise for us where we get to know more of your word. Help it to be a relational exercise where we get to know you more and get to know you better. And our lives are changed as a result. Help us see what you want us to do with the truth. This is about you, Jesus. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease. That you would not let me make this about me. Don't let anyone out there make it about them because it's about you, Jesus. Move on our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as we come to this farewell, I love Paul closes these letters, and it's a, sometimes for me it's a little tricky as I'm preparing to preach it because it's the last one, and, you know, there you're covering. He's basically saying, see ya, you know? It's like writing a sermon over the part of a letter that says, uh, and every, tell everybody I said hello, sincerely, Cal. <laughs> you know, like, uh, it's a little, it's a little, it can be a little bit like that. We've got a little bit more than just that section in this, uh, as he talks about being gospel, uh, how they had partnered with him in the gospel. But I want to po- call your attention to verse 15 first. Just as before we even get rolling in any of the main points, I want to call your attention to verse 15. Because in verse 15, he says something, and when I read it, um, I kind of, you know, do you ever read something in the Bible and you kind of almost do a double take like, oh, whoa, uh, I I didn't know that. But it was verse, for me this week, it was verse 15. I did not realize this. I don't know if I just missed it in having studied this before or if I missed this in Oh, in New Testament 2 in seminary or what, but here's what it says. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left for Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. In the beginning, they were his only partners. No wonder he had such a close tie with this church. In the beginning, they were the ones who were supporting him. They were his partners. They were they were, I mean, the closeness, it makes sense when we hear him throughout this, call him his beloved and, and, and things like that. And, and just the way he talks about them, the way he talks about longing for them to be with them because they supported him from the very beginning, even when there was no one else supporting him. 
We find also that they had sent, and, and I've got a reason why I'm going here before we get into the main part of the message, but, but we find that they had sent him gifts with Epaphroditus. Now, we talked about this several times in previous messages in Philippians, right? So this guy, Epaphroditus, you guys know my nickname for him in my personal study, I call him E-Money, okay? Uh, so anyway, they'd sent gifts with this guy, Epaphroditus, or if you're feeling funky, E-Money, all right? And uh, he, Epaphroditus had gotten sick, so he brought these gifts, this support to Paul, and then he had gotten sick, but Paul says he'll be coming back to them. Well, they'd been concerned about Epaphroditus, because they had heard of his sickness. And if you remember, Paul tells them, and another part tells them, like, yeah, he almost died. This guy almost died in order to help deliver help to Paul, in order to deliver their support to Paul to see the gospel advance. It's incredible. Look, some of us won't even come to church to worship with our brothers and sisters if we were out a little late last night. This guy... This guy, Epaphroditus, takes this stuff on a dangerous journey, an arduous journey, because it wasn't like he could hop in his Honda Civic and drive there, okay? So he takes this this money, this this help, and goes to Paul and almost dies going there. But he did it, right? It was hard, but he did it anyway. So the question is, why? Like, why were these people willing to be the support for Paul? Why was Epaphroditus willing to go on this journey and get sick? Like if, I, like, if I'm on a trip and I start to get sick, I might consider going back. But he, he, so he gets there. He doesn't, obviously, he doesn't know he's going to get sick ahead of time and almost dies. And yet there was no regret. Like nobody, nobody talks about regretting it or that they were sorry that... They had done it. They weren't, weren't sorry they had partnered with Paul, right? Why is that? Why? It's because of the gospel. It's because they understood the power of the gospel and that they as a church had a part to play in advancing the mission of the gospel. See, the thing about gospel partners, and if you want to write this down, just write gospel partners. Gospel partners, believe it. Believe it. Now, what do they believe? No, they believe the gospel. Paul had preached the gospel to these people. That that men, all men and women, all mankind are born with a sin nature. That we come into the world and we're automatically going to lean towards making the wrong sinful choice. We come into it with that sin barrier between us and God. And it separates us from God who is holy. And there was no way for us to be reconciled with God, to have relationship with God. In fact, we were due, because of our sin, the wrath of God to be poured out on us for all eternity. But God, who is holy, is also love. And so he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, God in the flesh, 100% man, 100% God, and sent him to take our punishment, the wrath of God due us, and to actually take that on our behalf, in our place, as a, as a substitute for us on the cross. And exchange that for his righteousness, giving us his right standing before God put on our account. And redeeming us from our sin. So that we could have relationship with God, 
We could be restored into right relationship with God as, as it was before sin came into the world. And we could have eternity with God in heaven. Gospel partners, Paul's gospel partners, the reason they were willing to risk life and limb, the reason they were willing to give sacrificial gifts, the reason they were willing to support him when no one else supported him was because they heard the true message of the gospel and they believed it. They received it and it changed their lives. And they were willing to do anything to see it continue to spread, to support church planting through Paul, missions through Paul. Now, in the remaining time of this message, I want to say a few words about gospel partners in particular, and then, excuse me, and then talk about commitment before leaving you with some challenges at the end. So the first thing we need to know about gospel partnership, and, and in fact, what, God, what Paul kind of ex- exemplifies to us, or what the Philippians exemplify to us through Paul. Paul, n- number one is Paul rejoiced over the partnership he had with the Philippians in the gospel. I said this earlier, and I've said it so many times, I'm afraid that I, that I almost, um, I, there's an extra had in there. So if you're writing that down, cross out one of the hads, okay? Um, I forgot to delete that, and I just looked, and it's still there. So sorry about that. Anyway, um, Paul rejoiced greatly over them because he cared deeply for the Philippians. And he rejo- we find that he rejoiced over their gift, but... His rejoicing over their gift was not because they were sending him money. Do you you see that in there? His rejoicing was not over the fact that they were sending him money. His joy was because he saw the growth of faith as evidenced by the fruit of generosity that they were exhibiting. See, Paul does something. He's great at commending people for their faith and, and like rejoicing in the Lord for someone's faith. But he avoids dropping into flattery. Okay, sometimes we want to commend people or encourage people. And sometimes because we're humans, we like drop into flattery instead of commending them for their faith and rejoicing in the Lord. And we should commend people like we probably don't do even enough of that. We should, you know, do more like celebrating wins in people's lives and things like that. Okay, we should while not go while not dropping into flattery, but he avoids that by rejoicing in the Lord for them, for their growth as as exemplified by this gift that they were sending. See, he's not spending paragraph after paragraph talking about them, but he praises the Lord for their faithfulness. Why would he do that? Well, Paul cared very deeply for the spiritual lives of his partners. He cared deeply for the spiritual lives of the Philippians. He spent the previous chapters dealing with their spiritual lives and how it played out in their daily grind, you know, daily lives and the way they lived it out as a church. When we partner with others, by the way, as a church, we're partnered with one another in the gospel, just to kind of give away the big finish, okay? When we partner with one another, we need to care for one another's spiritual needs. In doing so, We should be careful to put the praise where the praise belongs when there's a success and put the praise with the Lord. We should recognize and commend those who serve well, who have supported us, but we should rejoice in the Lord for the fruit of faithfulness that is being exemplified. 
that without him, none of us would be here. And none of that would have happened without God working in our hearts. Because we understand, we understand our sin nature, right? And we understand that without Christ, none of us would want to even sit here. Number two, gospel partners care for the material, physical needs of each other. So pick your word, material or physical needs. Okay. I grew up in the 80s, the age of materialism, so I'm partial to the word material. But you might say physical needs. Okay. Gospel partners care for the material or physical needs of each other. And yes, the Madonna song is going through my head right now. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it, you're too young. So gospel partners care for the material or physical needs of each other. Specifically in this case, for those from whom you have benefited from their teaching or from their ministry. This is, look, this is part of why you pay me as a pastor. Just to be like flat out. It's part of why because for, we are supposed to provide for those from whom we benefit for their, from their ministry. Okay? So here is where Paul really gives us a lot from this passage. Okay? And by the way, that's the end of me talking about me, okay? Um, but, but here's where Paul gives us a lot from this passage. So last week we talked about Paul addressing anxiousness and those in the church um, and, and commending them, like pushing them towards prayer instead of anxiety. See, Paul was exhibiting this here too. Like, Paul was not anxious about his material needs. He wasn't anxious about where his food was going to come from. We know from Paul's story, from his life, that there were times of abundance, but there was also times where he probably wondered where his next meal was going to come from. But Paul was not anxious about his material needs. He trusted God that they would be met. He saw them met by God through the God-honoring generosity of his gospel partners like the Philippian church. He trusted God, and then he saw God meet his needs. Did it always happen in the way Paul thought it would happen? Probably not. In my experience, it doesn't always happen in the way I think it's going to happen for me when I'm trusting, uh, when I have a need of some kind and I'm trusting God to meet that need. It doesn't always happen the same way I think it would, but it always happens in the best way for God's will. Even if sometimes I'm like, well, that's not the way I would have done it. Yeah, that's the point, Cal. You're not God. I told you I wasn't going to talk about myself anymore, but there I did. So throughout the New Testament, we see the inseparable relationship between gospel partnership and financial giving. I mean, there's, there's really no way around it. Partners give. Consumers don't. Paul views the Philippians as co-laborers, not as customers. They have skin in the game. They have sacrificially given to see the job done. They, they gave cheerfully to support the mission. They were not content to receive the benefit of Paul's ministry and not give towards it in return. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful the way God designed this to work. And Paul is clear about saying he's not seeking the gift. He's not saying this so they'll give him money. He's saying these things because he's excited that they're showing that they believe it and that they trust in God. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to see the mission go forward. Again, he's seeking the fruit of faithfulness that is evident in their continued support. If we want to be faithful to scripture, we will, we will be providing for the needs of others. The needs of gospel partners. You know, 
I look back at, at Acts chapter 2 and the early church, you know, and, and, and sometimes we, I mean, we raise them up as idyllic and, and think, well, we'd love to be in that situation, but I mean, our circumstances are not the same, but, um, but there's that passage that talks about them selling their belongings and giving to anyone that had need. <laughs> and I was like, that's, you know, I, I used to challenge teenagers when I was a youth pastor of like, man, if you knew somebody who needed clothes, would you be willing to go sell your iPod? Okay, that's how old this was. Would, would you be willing to go sell your iPod to, uh, to buy that person clothes? Would you sell your Xbox to buy that person clothing kind of thing? And so uh, I'm not telling you you need to go sell everything, okay? Uh, that's not the point. The point is not to sell everything. The point was when you see a need, are you willing to do what it takes to meet the need? Number three, gospel partners continue to care for each other. They shared in Paul's trouble. He talks about them having shared in his trouble. They were concerned for him, but they had had, he says, no opportunity, right? They, they were concerned for him, but they hadn't had opportunity to ex- express it. And then they, they got to send Epaphroditus. They'd been supporting Paul's ministry all along, and now they got the opportunity. They got to send Epaphroditus on his way. They continued to care for him. They didn't start when he was leaving Macedonia and then just drop it somewhere along the way, right? And here's my concern as a pastor, not, not necessarily with us, although I don't want us to get into this either. But I've been in churches where um, in many times our care for people, they come in, they're new people. We're like, oh, we love you. We're glad you're here. And we are genuinely like glad people are here. Um, and then they join the church or they become, you know, partnered up with us. And sometimes it's like we stop the caring for one another. It's not that we don't care about the person. It's not that we don't love the person, but sometimes once people go through the beginning process, like some churches fail to continue to care for one another. And and that's not what we want here, right? We don't want to stop caring for one another. So gospel partners continue to care for one another. And number four, gospel partners' gifts are sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God. Sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having Receive from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This sounds a lot like some other language in some other passage that you may have read in the Bible before. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And if you don't know it, don't worry about it. I'm going to read it, and that's fine. But it sounds familiar. Like, whenever you see language in the Bible that sounds like other language in the Bible, it's always good to look at that, right? It's always good to check that out and see, okay, is there some connection here? Is it talking about the same kind of thing? What is this? But it sounds a lot like this from Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the Philippians, they were providing for the advancement of the gospel in supporting the mission and church planning work of Paul. 
And that was pleasing to God. They were supporting it, and that was pleasing to God. It didn't earn them extra acceptance with God. They had all that in the gospel. Okay? That was already purchased on the cross. It's not like they were earning more favor. But that sacrificial giving, that was pleasing to God. To the work of the gospel advancing was pleasing to God. It was a sacrifice. So the question that I have to ask myself, I have to ask this of myself, and you have to ask of yourself is, are, are you giving, am I giving to the gospel in a sacrificial way, whether it be time, talent, or treasure? Am I giving in a sacrificial way? It's good, it's acceptable, and it's pleasing to God. Now, at an appropriate time, we come to verse 13. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This verse, friends, this verse gets used for all sorts of things. People get it tattooed on themselves to remind them, to show them, to prove to them that they can do anything they set their minds to in Christ. It gets put on coffee mugs and paintings. It's used by athletes to help them visualize accomplishing their dreams. But here's the big problem. That's not the meaning of this verse in the context of the passage where the verse is found. Okay? One of my favorite coffee cups that I do not own is this. I got a picture of it right here. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Because that's what happens with this verse. Yes, there are a lot of verses that people take out of context, but this verse especially, this is one of the most most misapplied verses in all of Scripture. You cannot just pick a verse out of Scripture that says something you like or makes you feel good and build an entire theology or life practice around it. You just can't do that, ignoring the context. That's what many have done. So let's look at verse 13 according to the context around it. It's a, friends, it's a beautiful verse. It's a beautiful verse, but it does not mean that you can do anything you want in Christ. It doesn't mean that you can win a race or a football game or get the job you want or any of that. That's just not what it means. Plainly put, verse 13 is Paul telling the Philippians and us that the secret to facing having plenty or having not enough is Christ. Paul's source of satisfaction is in Christ Jesus and not in having enough food or not enough food. Having less doesn't steal his satisfaction in Christ and having more than enough doesn't override his satisfaction in Christ. The focus is not on Paul, and it's not on the Philippians that have been supporting him financially. The focus is on Christ. So many people have misapplied this verse and focused it on themselves. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or through him who strengthens me, whatever your translation is. So many people have misapplied it and have focused on themselves, their dreams, what they want to accomplish not on Christ and being content in him no matter your financial situation. Let's read it just with the surrounding verses because I think you'll, like, you'll see you'll see it. But let's just start with verse 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So stop there. So he says, hey, I've learned the secret. So in verse 13, he's going to give us the secret to being in abundance or in hunger, right? He's going to, this is, follows right behind it. I've learned, he's learned the secret. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then he he kind of changes the thought there a little bit in verse 14 because he says yet, like there's that kind of yet and goes on to something else. See, here's the point of this verse is that Jesus is the source of Paul's satisfaction and strength. Jesus is the source of Paul's contentment. Our enjoyment of God should not be dependent upon our financial status. Paul's was not. Contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. I mean, our contentment should be unconnected to our circumstances. You can be content in Christ, whatever your circumstances. I, I found this poem by a guy named Layman, and this might sound familiar to you, so I'm going to read a poem right now. I don't do that real often, but I'm going to read a poem. It was spring, but, I wanted, but it was summer I wanted. I should probably read it right. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. It was middle-aged. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Does that sound familiar to anybody? See, here's the thing. Contentment doesn't come naturally. Contentment does not come naturally. It's learned. Paul says, he learned the secret. He learned the secret of being content. Paul learned to be content. He lived with both abundance and he had been in need. Some have said it might be harder to be content in abundance than with need. Uh, there might be something to that. Sometimes I think it might be harder to be content when you have a lot than being content when you have little. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And I didn't, you know, there were lots of connecting passages that... that, that tied in with this and I didn't want to take them all because I'm going to be preaching about stewardship for the next few weeks but 1 Timothy 6 17 through 19 says this as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy they are to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
So don't fall into the ditch on either side. Both prosperity and poverty contain many tests. The test of greed hits both. Those who have nothing are tempted to want more and more and more and maybe even take what's not theirs or feel like they're incomplete because they don't have more. Those who have plenty are tempted with greed to collect more and more and to not be generous. Generosity is a topic that we're going to cover more in the coming weeks. But understand this, contentment in the scriptures is held up as a desirable thing to aspire to. Like We should want to be content. We should seek contentment. We should try to learn contentment in any circumstance. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do you see with both plenty and poverty, there's still that temptation of greed. Like it's still there. It's still there on either side. So don't hear this morning that either one of those is good or bad. They're just, one of those is your situation in life, right? So where is your contentment found? Are you always wanting more? Are you worrying about how much you don't have or how much you do have? Are you overly focusing on it? The cure for anxiety is contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you worried about money? Be satisfied in Christ. The problem is that we don't, the problem is not that we don't have enough or that we have too much. The problem is that we aren't finding our satisfaction in Christ. We aren't enjoying him and being satisfied in him. Because contentment flows from our union with Christ and our reliance upon him. That's it. That's the secret. Paul tells us right there in verse 13 that we take and, and He tells us in verse 13, and we take that verse and we use it for other things. And this verse is so glorious and contains such a sweet truth that when it's misapplied, we miss out on that sweet truth. And it's just tragic because Christ gives us the strength to meet any circumstance we face. I read an an author, excuse me, who asked this question. He said this, and it just, the question stuck out to me. He said, Are you preoccupied with your circumstances or your Savior? So when you think about what you're preoccupied with, are you preoccupied with your circumstances, all the stuff going on around you? Or are you preoccupied with Jesus? This guy you may have heard of, Jeff Gordon. I'm not a NASCAR fan. I know who Jeff Gordon is, okay? He's retired now, I think. So anyway, uh, Jeff Gordon was quoted as saying this, either you focus or you end up hitting something really hard. Right? So focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. Learn contentment by focusing on Him and not all of the noise around you, not all the circumstances around you. They're there. We have to deal with them, but we can be content in any situation. I feel like I'm flapping here. Sorry. Focus on Christ. Learn contentment. By focusing on him. When you're content, here's the thing. You'll find this. When you are content in your circumstances, you're going to be adaptable. Because contentment makes for adaptability. When you're content, 
you're adaptable. You can meet whatever comes along so long as your focus is fixed on Christ for where your strength will come from. And you can meet whatever circumstance comes along. So, when you see that verse on a poster or a coffee cup or tattooed on Evander Holyfield or whatever, you probably don't want to see Evander Holyfield without a shirt anymore. He's not a young man anymore. Anyway, sorry, that's a whole other thing. But he has that tattooed like right here, I think, because I remember when he was fighting, I was like, yeah, look at go. He's got Bible verse. And then, you know, you learn what the Bible verse really means. And you're like, oh, it doesn't mean that I can knock that guy out. So, when, so what I don't want you to do is when you see that on a poster or a teacher or whatever, I don't want you to attack the person who's wearing it. You're doing that wrong. That's not, what I, that's, not what I, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to understand what it means so that you can apply it in your life and be satisfied in Christ. Okay? I know some of that stuff gets into my pet peeve territory, so I may come off pretty strong with it. But I want us to understand because this is vitally important to us understanding scripture is understanding context and not taking things and building a whole theology or life system out of one verse. Two final notes on this passage before I get, call you to respond to God's word. Verse 19. I want to show you in verse 19 that God will meet the needs of the Philippians just as he met the needs of Paul. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul trusted that God would not let these sacrificially giving gospel partners go unsupplied. Paul trusted that they were giving sacrificially and God wasn't going to let them starve. That God wasn't going to let them go without that God would also provide for them just as he had provided for Paul. Paul trusted that just as God had met his needs, he would meet their needs as well. And then I want you to look at verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. God uses his power to glorify himself. And we need to be really excited about that. Because the best thing that could happen for us is for God to get glory. Paul's thankfulness for their support, Paul's thankfulness for their support leads to worship. He gives God glory. So they're faithful, they're faithful, and it causes Paul to worship God because they're faithful. See, our ultimate goal and the best thing for us is that God gets the glory. So the question is, does God get worshipped because of your faithfulness? Does your faithfulness to God cause other people to worship God? Think about that for a minute. Let that bounce around in your brain and your heart. Does your faithfulness to God cause other people to worship God? Does your obedience to God's calling in the word drive other people around you to worship him? It did for the Philippians. The Philippians' faithfulness caused the apostle Paul to worship. 
I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward as I kind of rotate towards closing, but they can come on up. But here's the thing. This is the time where I'm going to say a few words. I'm going to ask you some questions, and it's your time to respond. Not to me. You're going to respond to God. I'm not going to ask you to come up here or anything like that. I'm going to ask you simply to answer these questions in your heart and to spend some time with the Lord while we sing. And if you need to, if you need to talk to the Lord during that time and pray, then, then you stand there and do that or sit there or whatever you want to do, whatever you need to do to do business with the Lord. Some of you, you may need to think on this the rest of the day, and you may need to have a conversation with a Christian brother or sister or, or pastor. I'm, I'm available for that as well. So here's the thing. We're, we're designed for partnership. We're not designed for life outside of community. And I told you I kind of gave this away already, but we as a church are partnered together for the advancement of the gospel and our sanctification. We're partnered with one another in the gospel, and we also have gospel partners in other areas of the country and around the world. So here's four questions for you to think about. I know I already gave you some questions, but I'm going to give you four more. Number one, how are you going to meet the spiritual needs of each other? How are you going to care for the spiritual needs of each other? Number two, how are you, we, as a church going to partner to meet the spiritual needs of the community around us and see the gospel advance. Because we can't do that on our own. right? We work together as one body. Yes, individually we're out doing ministry and evangelism and things like that in, in, in our, pla- our place of employment and all that. Number three, how are you going to continue to care for others and not simply stop? How do we not drop the ball? How do we keep ourselves from dropping the ball and caring for each other? And number four, how are you going to sacrifice to advance the gospel? Now, some of you, I know y'all, some of you are already sacrificing to advance the gospel. That causes me to rejoice. That causes me to be thankful to but how are you going to sacrifice to advance the gospel? You know, uh, Paul talks a lot in Philippians about this idea of imitating, you know, imitate what you've heard from faithful teachers, imitate what you see in Paul's life. You know, he tells the Philippians to imitate him. But honestly, I think sometimes we could look at like the Philippians and how they partnered with Paul for the gospel. And I think we could imitate them. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, bringing us here to this place. God, I thank you that you did not design us to do life alone. God, you didn't design us, uh, you didn't design us to live in silos. But you're building a church, a body, the body of Christ, universally, but also locally. And you designed us for community. You designed us to partner together for the advance of the gospel. Jesus, help us be good partners. Help us be focused on you, your life, death, resurrection, and find our satisfaction and our contentment in you and you alone. That whatever our circumstance, whatever we are met with, whether we have tons or we have not enough, that we're content in you and we trust you for everything.
You're the only guarantee we need, Jesus. And if we trusted in you for salvation, your death on the cross in our place for our sin, your resurrection that you raised from the grave by the power of God three days later, if we trust in that, if we repent of our sins and trust the good news, that we are guaranteed life with you, eternal and abundant here on earth, Jesus. Help us understand these things. Help us, God, I pray you would bore them, use your spirit to bore them deep into our hearts, that our lives would be radically changed by the truth. Because we believe it. Not that we say it, not that we think it, but because in every fiber of our being, we believe it and we stake our very lives on it, Jesus. Move in our hearts as we sing. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.